What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Hardwood Knox. This is Adam Frommel here with my fantastic co-host, Dan Favalli. Dan, how's it going tonight? I am doing all right. Just watched one hell of a Grizzlies-Spurs game. How about yourself? Yeah, I'm just glad that the first quarter wasn't indicative of the quality of the game. It was super exciting. Yeah, I was a little bit concerned that we were going to get a clunker after uh, that. My one takeaway at least especially in the, the first half, part of the reason, the impetus behind how the Spurs got back in that. Uh, Jakob Pertl is a human, or excuse me, Jake Puddle is a human human eclipse. Yeah, he's uh, he's definitely a, a good defensive presence there. I think one of my primary takeaways was that I regret being talked out of including Dylan Brooks on my all Herb Knox team because that dude is just relentless on the defensive mm-hmm. end. And when he gets going as a scorer too, like it's not always efficient or pretty. But the energy he plays with is so fun. I'm with you, and we're recording this right before the start of Lakers-Warriors. So I'm excited to finally get to all-NBA and all-defensive teams, though. These are a lot more fun. I think there are pretty clear-cut ones on the the first team, I would say. But these were a lot more fun to do and harder to do than the awards, I think. I 100% agree, which is kind of why we saved it for a separate podcast. But before we get going on those all NBA and all defensive teams, I feel like I owe our listeners an update. And that is that the only thing in my wife's office that I ruined was an old calculator and a couple pieces of paper. But everything else was salvaged from the great drink fiasco of last episode. Was she Was she even mad? Um, Not really, because I didn't ruin a computer or anything actually important and then when she listened to the first minute and a half of the actual recording when it was live she just thought it was hilarious i cut stuff out of that too because there was some stuff that i said that were incoherent towards the end because i had no idea what i was not planning to (laughs) talk to the children without you so it was edited a little bit too so she didn't even get the raw the raw footage i mean she stopped listening as soon as you started talking which i imagine many of our listeners do I did appreciate some of our listeners reaching out and complaining about our selections. We had the, there was the discourse in the Hardwood Knox Twitter. Someone was very unhappy that we had, or maybe was it just me that had Halliburton over Edwards in Rookie of the Year? Or did you have them too? I, I did as well. Yeah, they thought it was too numbers focused. And I don't even, I know I cited like the Vort thing as fun at the end, but I don't, like we didn't even use numbers necessarily to justify his entire case. Yeah, I think, I didn't really respond to that one on Twitter, but I guess if, I, if I'm responding now, like that, kind of implied to me that Halliburton doesn't pass the eye test, which is really strange because I think it's very obvious. And it actually runs counter to the numbers, which indicate that his team has been slightly worse with him on the floor. But to me, it's been abundantly clear how much better he makes everyone. And I do think that's, you know, there's more, a lot of the Edwards stuff, it focuses too much on volume, in my opinion. I know his Mm -hmm. role overall was probably more difficult. But it's also difficult to not have a creative license. You know, like what would Halliburton have done if right. Fox was injured for a huge chunk of the year, like when Edwards had no Towns or no D'Lo? 
for part of the season. Exactly. And defense too. Like there wasn't even a just a comparison to what Halliburton did defensively compared to Edwards. And I actually think it's fine to pick Edwards. I just don't think Halliburton is an egregious selection at number two. Nor do I. But that's probably the last we're going to talk about rookies on this episode because I don't believe that a single first-year player is on any of our all-NBA or all-defensive teams. Speak for yourself. I mean, I I feel like I've heard your list, so. (laughs) (laughs) Where do you want to start? Do you want to go with all-defense and then all-NBA, or do you want to do all-NBA? Yeah, let's do all-defensive first. We had the same exact all-defense team on the first team, so how about you just speak for the two of us here? I can do that. Yeah, so it kind of aligns pretty strongly with our Defensive Player of the Year ballots, where we had Rudy Gobert, who we both believe is the obvious frontrunner for DPOY, uh, Draymond Green, Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, and Jimmy Butler. Um, it's Justifying defensive selections is always a little bit tricky because the metrics are very flawed as standalone entities, and they don't often agree like they happen to with Gobert just having an absolutely monstrous impact on that end this season. But you just watch all these guys and for Draymond Green and Ben Simmons, it's the versatility and the way they're able to orchestrate defenses from the perimeter while also operating on the interior. Jimmy Butler, it's just the grit personified that he plays with. If he is fully engaged and locked in on you, you're just not going to score. And then with Embiid and Gobert, it's it's the rim protection. It's the ability to just shut down the paint and create defensive systems around them because there's no need to worry about that vital portion of half-court defense. So all five of these guys, like I think their work just speaks, speaks for itself as long as you've watched them play for, what, like three minutes this season? Right. And who, if if you threw health out the window... Do you think, I think there's a the school of thought that specifically with Embiid and maybe even Draymond Green, do you view them as a more impactful defender than Rudy Gobert? If everyone's playing every single minute of every single game, just based on what they're doing per minute? I don't think so. It's probably, it's closer, probably closest with Draymond Green because of the impact that he has elevating the performance of his teammates. Like If you're picking out a guy who's coaching up his fellow running mates during live action, it's Draymond Green. He's teaching, he's using moments to teach without sacrificing his own play. And I think he elevates the entire scheme so much because of that. But at this stage of his career, like he's not going to give you that kind of effort and energy for 36 minutes a game for every game of the season. I think that's totally fair. I would I think most people say it's closer with Embiid, probably because of the way he can change the shot pile more so than Draymond Green. But looking at sheer responsibility. I think you could maybe make a case for Green, but it's still Gobert to me. It's just impossible to make a case against him. Yeah, and I there are there are players from our second team selections who are probably I would guess challenging Butler for a first team spot. I think he's the weakest entrant among this first quintet, but like no one's getting there. Yeah, I I'm I'm looking at my I, there's there's no one that I would put above any of the five like there wasn't even a my first team came together very quickly right do you agree that butler was probably the weakest of the inclusions though i hate saying that because i there's a in total value maybe not if you want to look at how much he played perhaps but yeah i mean i'm probably probably kind of with it's just wild i feel i don't want to denigrate jimmy butler because all defense right the only denigration here is like 
you are the weakest of the five best defenders this season. I guess the best way to put it is he didn't make the top three of my defensive player of the year ballot, but he essentially made my top five defensive player of the year ballot. Right, exactly. He was an honorable mention. So he was at, le- he was at least one of the two weakest of this five. That's the yeah. best way to spin this insult. It's not even an insult. But Jimmy Butler will probably take this as motivation because I'm sure he listens to Hardwood Knox and he might start his workouts at like 2.36 instead of 2.40 a.m. Wow. Yeah, you, you think that late? Yeah, that's true. He, I don't know if he's been slacking quite like that this season. Are, who's on your second team, or did you want me to kick off the second team? I can kick it off. That's fine. I mean, I, I think we differed a lot more here. This was really hard to pick. Um, so my, my selections were Drew Holiday, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Bam Adebayo, Miles Turner, and Clint Capella. So I have just this ginormous jumbo size lineup since positions don't matter for all defensive selections. But I have to give like so many shout outs here because there were just a bajillion candidates for these five spots. So I have written down apologies to DeJounte Murray, Matisse Teibel, Lou Dort, Mikhail Bridges, OG Ananobi, Dylan Brooks, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, Nerlens Noel, Fred Van Vliet, and TJ McConnell. And I still left out people. Like there are still snubs from my ridiculously long list of snubs. Yeah, I had Kawhi. Uh, I don't even. Kawhi was a snub of mine. I felt very awkward leaving him off the second team. He played. I think there was at least one person, maybe two, that you could justify putting him over. But I couldn't shake two of my inclusions, and they were both in your honorable mentions. I couldn't. I think I was a little bit more liberal with. I didn't care about playing time as much during this um during this one and i was really trying to look at like more of the stuff that's just stood out to me over the over the season so i had if you want me to go through my second team you want to go through yours first no i mean i already listed them out i would just say the only place where i kind of veered away from that minutes threshold was with miles turner who had he played 20 more games would have been in the defensive player of the year conversation no i don't know why i only heard you list off your honorable mentions but (laughs) But I had uh, Mikael Bridges, DeJounte Murray, Bam Adebayo, Drew Holiday, and Giannis Antetokounmpo. Giannis is probably the one that I think you could make a case for to go on first team if you really wanted to, would be my guess. DeJounte- you know, I really thought about that with both Drew and Bam Adebayo, which is interesting because those are the three we had in common. Yeah, and look, Drew, you know I'm Mr. Chris Middleton. The second best player on the Bucks this year was Drew Holiday, and it might have been by a substantial margin because of the the breadth of responsibility on the defensive end, just dude who can defend any guard, any guard, and then most wings, and just just do it. And I I constantly look at the impact he has on a possession-to-possession basis. When you look at his activity, when you look at how consistently he's just going up against opposing stars, it never seems like he, he wears down. It doesn't feel like there's a, a switch that he needs to flip. He's just always go, 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 and it's, it's always against the most toughest, against the toughest, most toughest, well assignments and there's it feels like there's no respite for him i guess we'll get where you look at Giannis, and he did a lot more switching this year i think his overall assignment difficulty statistically when you look at partial possessions was slightly harder but like drew holiday just doesn't have a break he carries perhaps one of the five or six biggest single player workloads in the nba on the defensive end see i'm still struggling to wrap my head around not having Giannis on the first team because he is the reigning defensive player of the year and yet, like, I, I, he might have gotten better this year on defense, but he still doesn't feel like he's one of the five first-teamers. 
And I wonder if that's just another example of like how we're slightly fatigued on Giannis's consistent excellence. And you know, when you go over the first team, you probably could be like weight playing time heavier and say Giannis can be in there over Embiid or, or Jimmy Butler. Mm. But yeah, it's it's tough to delineate between some of those guys. I don't think so, Murray has gotten enough credit this year, though. He's just one of the best on-ball defenders in the NBA. He actually started the the playing game with the Grizzlies by getting a steal and then forcing a steal. And then, from Morant, too. Yeah, scoring in transition. Like, that, he could be a professional pickpocketer if he wanted to and make millions of dollars. Probably make more money than he's making right now because of how smooth he is with it. I get that he doesn't have, like, the same scope as Drew Holiday because he's not going to go up against those like bigger heavier wings but he is just so tenacious on the ball and I do I don't know that it's gotten lost in this but there's either a tendency to think that maybe it's Derek White or that the Spurs just don't have that blue chip cornerstone it's very clearly DeJounte Murray and that gets too much into his offense when you have that larger discussion but I he's still fantastic on defense and then Bridges I think he graduated from being an underrated player this year, but I still think everyone looks at him and says, oh, he's this fantastic team defender. And I still think he does a lot of really good one-on-one stuff. And you look at his, just these, some of the assignments that he's had to shoulder, it definitely helps that he had Jay Crowder by his side for minutes this year. But he does a ton of the heavy lifting for the Phoenix Suns on that side of the floor. And he's so smart to where, I guess if you're going through these five, I'd probably say the second best team. To, I mean, Giannis has to be up there, or even Bam. I don't. Let's not get into that pecking order. But he's just—he's the fact that he's an amazing team defender and is just one of those guys where there's no such thing as gambling because everything is so cold and calculated when he's away from the ball. I, not that I don't, enjoy, I like watching defense, but Mikael Bridges is someone that I can zero in on on defense and never take my eyes off of. I don't hate either of the selections. I mean, they were two of the most prominent names on my list of snubs there. And I, I just, I wonder what it's like to be DeJounte Murray and have to bend your arms at all times so your fingers don't scrape the floor. That dude is just so long. It is, it's ridiculous how easy it is for him to impact passing lanes or poke the ball away just because it's like he has two arms where a lot of players have one. Did you give any consideration to Marcus Smart? Yeah, he was like the first name off my list of snubs. And I considered adding him back in, but ultimately I didn't want it to grow past a dozen. So I had to make a cut somewhere. But I think like, and it kind of ties into why Miles Turner and Clint Capello were my two second team selections you didn't have. I don't, I didn't view Marcus Smart this year in particular as like a scheme altering force. And that's kind of where I tended to gravitate to, which is probably why my team is so center heavy here. Miles Turner was the Pacers defense and Clint Capella was the unquestioned spark for the second half defensive turnaround from the Hawks. Their rise coincided with him becoming such a crucial part of that rotation and getting healthy and being fully impactful and proving that he wasn't just some product of James Harden's greatness in Houston. So for me, those two guys elevated the entire unit enough that I wanted to give them more credit than guys who are probably, quote unquote, better defenders. Similar to what I was saying on the previous episode about Ben Simmons and Rudy Gobert, where the versatility and all around excellence of Simmons might make him a, quote unquote, better defender, but he doesn't have as much of an impact. I I get the Capella one. If I were going to go with Miles Turner, 
I think I would have probably been more inclined to like throw out the the plank, given how much time he missed towards the end of the year consecutively. I would have found a way to shoehorn OG Ananobi in there. And I really tried to find a way to shoehorn OG Ananobi in there. But then I got into the issue of, well, how do you justify that if Turner's not there just because of the playing right. time as well? And then also Thibel was then in that discussion. And so I, I ended up actually considering playing time more than I thought I was going to. And I don't really regret how the second team turned out, but Ananobi was, for me personally, was the, the toughest cut to make here. I think that was Tybal for me. But I, I get the arguments for a lot of these guys. I feel like I have a guy who could defend eight players at once. But can I think he it? has. Can he do it for 35 minutes right. a game would be the question. The playing time concern is a big one there because it's not due to injuries. It's due to not being a prominent enough part of the rotation. That was the primary argument for me not including him. Do you want to wrap? Is that it? Any other thoughts on all defense? Anyone else who was just super tough to leave off or people are going to be expecting to see? Andre Drummond didn't get any consideration. <laughs> You know, I really thought about Damian Lillard this season, but I just I couldn't do it. Um, someone's going to give Andrew Wiggins an All Defense vote this year. It's going. I'm not. He doesn't deserve it, but someone's going to. That's going to be the one. I think that's the player where it's like, oh, hmm. that's interesting. I haven't really thought about who might get credit and doesn't deserve it. Uh, just look at the defensive rebound category, and you'll probably find someone. Yeah, that's fair. Now is the chance to use reliable energy to grow your money with the Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. Our new investment product offers competitive returns, no maintenance fees, and flexible online access to your money. Make the reliable investment in reliable energy. The Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. To find out more, go online to reliabilityinvestment.com. That's reliabilityinvestment.com. Do you want to take us through All-NBA first team? Yeah, so the first team, and we're going to kind of go through these a little bit quickly because we've talked about a lot of these players ad nauseum at you this what, point. You know what I was going to say? Should we do, you just want to go like center, 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 get through all three teams and go by position instead of jumping around team? To no, team. I, don't, I don't think I do just because the positions are so strange this year. Like we have Nikola Jokic and Joel Embiid both on the first team. They're both centers. Uh, I do not have both of them on the first team. I'm well, you pissed. should. No, you, you should. Because how many? Daryl Morey is pissed right now. Do either of them defend forwards enough? No, but they're listed there. So let's put the best players on the on the best team. Which is why I have Luka Doncic, Damian Lillard, and Stephen Curry on this. Luka Doncic just statistically defends small forwards as the position he de- or it was power forward uh, he defended most. And I know tracking data is not perfect. If I was going to justify including anyone who. You know, Doncic or an Embiid or Gobert, it had the data had to line up, and with Doncic, it did. I think his position estimate on defense was two point nine or something that it averaged out to be. So, hat tip, B ball index, fantastic site. Yeah, so I think the only the only place we disagree then is that I had Embiid instead of Damian Lillard, and for me, the really tough decision here. Steph was a lock, Embiid was a lock for me because I was just going to take advantage of the positional eligibility the NBA officially granted him for this. And Jokic was very obviously a lock, as was Giannis. So for me, it was Doncic versus Damian Lillard. And it was an impossible choice. But ultimately, like Doncic's team has had more success, and he has been even more integral to that success somehow than Lillard has been to Portland's. That's what the argument boiled down to for me is 
Doncic is responsible for everything that Dallas does on offense. His supporting cast is not the same that Portland's is. And yet Dallas is a better team. And it's because of how well Doncic has played. And we've talked about it before. But I think it's it's been too easy to dismiss the level at which he's played this year because it still feels like a relative disappointment because he came into the season as the odds on MVP favorite. Dallas was supposed to ascend into like the top three conversation in the West. It didn't. And he isn't going to win MVP. Therefore, it's viewed as a disappointment, even though he's putting together a historically excellent season. So your first team then was Stephen Curry, Luka Doncic, Joel Giannis, Jokic, and Giannis. Yeah, that I four of those guys are just locks. This or the, right the Steph or Steph Giannis Jokic because I guess people the way they flex and fiddle with their bouts those are on those are the just whatever your bout looks like those three are on it. I then had you have one of Dame or Luca is the like you have like those are the four guys I had both, and I think it, it also for me personally it was. I don't know that I felt like I needed to give Clint Capella or Bam at a bio third team consideration for centers. It made more sense for me to pick up that extra guard spot by going with Doncic mm. here. And he was also top five on my MVP ballot. And so this just felt right. So I wonder if we have any differ- differences in the top 10 then. Because my second team is Damian Lillard, who's on your first team, and vice versa for you, because I know you'll have him beat on your second team. No. But I also had... I'm just kidding. Go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> Just this look of shock and terror. Like <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna publish this. Should we start over? My my second team is Damian Lillard, Chris Paul, Kawhi Leonard, Jimmy Butler, and Rudy Gobert. We differed by one player. So I had Joel Embiid, Jimmy Butler, Kawhi Leonard, Chris Paul, and Devin Booker. Is the one that I think is gonna surprise people. Look, this dude averaged over 25 points four assists per game. That was with seeding a lot of the offensive control to CP3. The Suns destroyed opponents when he was on the floor without CP3. I do think he was definitely more engaged defensively, but I I would fall well short of saying that he was a good or even close to average defender. I think when you look at other considerations, and some of them are going to be considered on the third team, he had the edge in the, the minutes that he was going to end up playing um, or just sheer games and staying healthy over a, a Donovan Mitchell, over if you were going to consider De'Aaron Fox, Kyrie Irving. And the thing that really swayed me is Chris Paul was going to be a, an all-NBA lock for me, and I couldn't get around the fact that I think Devin Booker is more valuable to the Suns overall. The number of double teams, the frequency with which he draws double teams, I'll say, the percent of his possessions, slightly higher than CP3. His decision-making out of them, it's it's incredible. I would say it's better than... You know, you look at some of the guys with similar assist numbers, like a Jason Tatum and him, I think, were identical in the assists they average per game. And that's not to shill over Jason Tatum, who is absolutely fantastic, going to drop 50 burgers in, in the playing game. Uh, let's see if he does it against the Nets. But the decision-making from Booker... He might. They don't play defense. That is true. It seems smarter from Booker and just more complicated still. And there's just the level of him creating shots that, and I say this all the time, that just otherwise wouldn't exist if he wasn't on the floor. I know he had his crunch time struggles and a Tatum uh, a, and a Chris Paul. They outperformed him in those situations. I I just, I watch him. I see the attention that he draws, even away from the ball because he's a fantastic cutter. And I thought they should have got him moving in more of those situations. I think because of how much they sort of split him and Chris Paul up this year, that's probably why it didn't happen as much. So the burden that he's carrying there, and this is just like 
you know, shooting above 50% on twos. He was above 54% this year, I believe. And scoring this much, passing this much. This has been a thing for like three or four years now. This is not new. And I don't, the consistency doesn't have to be part of that because I'm looking at just this season. But it's almost amazing to me that he's done, churned out these type of numbers. And it's because the Suns haven't been good. He didn't really ever garner consideration. This year probably provided a window of opportunity, though, just in the sense that had Kyrie Irving played more, could you really justify picking Devin Booker or Chris Paul over Kyrie Irving? I, I don't know. But I think Devin Booker, maybe second team will be ambitious to some people, but when I look at my third team guards, it doesn't feel like it to me. At least, that's probably the one of mine that I think is going to rankle people and catch them off guard. But people who listen to this podcast know how strongly I feel about Devin Booker's value to Phoenix. I think Devin Booker would have been on my fifth team had we extended it, which I really don't even mean as an insult because ultimately like the way my ballot was structured, I'll, I'll go ahead and spoil it. Now I have Damian Lillard and Chris Paul as my second team guards. I have James Harden and Russell Westbrook as my third team. And my honorable mentions were Kyrie Irving and Bradley Beal. And I think Booker is just a hair below that tier for me. Uh, which is fine. Like that's still a really lofty level. And I, I don't hate the argument at all that you're making for the second team selection in a lot of ways. I think that Devin Booker might become the next generation DeMar DeRozan, where there's a little bit of a discrepancy between the advanced numbers and the eye test. In DeRozan's case, it was that his teams didn't often succeed with him on the floor because his playing style wasn't necessarily cohesive with those around him. With Booker, it's that he doesn't create enough disruptive defensive possessions to measure out as even remotely good on the defensive end. He turns the ball over a little bit too frequently, and he's not that accurate from the three-point arc. But what that all overlooks is the ridiculous difficulty of his role. You can't, those numbers just aren't accounting for the defensive pressure that he receives on a nightly basis. The tough shots that he's asked to make over outstretched arms from late shot clock situations and in these bailout possessions that drive down the numbers. It, it doesn't show how much he's improved as a distributor who gets a lot of secondary assists because he draws so much defensive attention. He's way better than the numbers indicate. So you're. Your second team guards were Dame and Chris Paul. Your third yeah. team was what again? Was James Harden and Russell Westbrook. I'm curious as to, I get the Russell Westbrook thing because he came on so late in the, well, I won't say so late, but he was a force of nature for a good chunk of the year. Right. Why? And I'm going to, so my third team guards are Bradley Beal, which is fun. It's funny that we're opposites. I have Kyrie Irving and Bradley Beal. So we just flip flop the, the teammates. Kyrie I literally have Russell Westbrook, parentheses, shouts to Kyrie and Beal. <laughs> The I have Russell Westbrook was put on my uh, fourth team. I have a fourth team list here. But so anyway, why did you pick James Harden over Kyrie? Kyrie ended up playing more minutes than Harden this year, and I think you have to throw Harden's first eight games out. You do because his the Houston tenure doesn't help him at all. Yeah, it, it definitely doesn't. It does quite the opposite, where it still holds him back. But what he was able to do in the 1,609 minutes that he played for both teams combined, still superseded what Kyrie Irving did in his 1,886 minutes. I mean, it's easy to hate on Harden's playing style because it's a little bit abrasive to watch. It kind of exploits the rule book. 
albeit in legal fashion. And then you throw in the disaster that was his Houston Rockets tenure during this 2020-21 season. And I think it's easy to overlook just how ridiculously effective he is as an offensive basketball player. With the Nets, he still averaged 24.6 points, 8.5 rebounds, 10.9 assists. He shot 47.1% from the field, 36.6% from the from the uh, from three-point land, and 85.6% from the line on huge volume from both of those latter two categories. He's just he's an offensive force. He completely warps what defenses can do in a way that Kyrie Irving doesn't, because Irving is a one-on-one maestro who's going to show off the ball handling wizardry and break down any matchup. But he is not a scheme altering force because you're still looking to guard him in those one-on-one situations with a little bit of help. You have to completely game plan for James Harden in a way that you don't necessarily have to for Irving. So to me, even with all those negatives working against him and the limitations in the playing time department, he's just such an impactful player that I could not leave him off. Kyrie's efficiency, I guess, was just too much for me. You're looking at some of the averages, 27 points, 6 assists, 56.1% on twos. And these are not like gimme twos that he's getting. He finishes from all over the place. I feel like he almost makes some of his layups more difficult on purpose. 40.2% on threes. His shot difficulty is still exceedingly hard. Uh, and I, I get Harden is clearly – Harden is the better player. He's the better passer. I'm not going to compare their, their scoring numbers because Harden – made and I think this was a huge decision and maybe that's part of his NBA case they decided that he was going to be the one that would power the point guard position when there were when it wasn't just him alone but when there I'll say multiple stars on the court because we saw so little of all three stars on the court but Kyrie Irving was just as valuable to me in those limited star minutes where when you look at how the Nets were playing offensively when he was the you know the only star. They had an offensive rating of 120 without Durant or Harden on the floor, and then you had Kyrie. The defense was clearly a problem, but adding all that to the fact that I viewed the playing time gap as a bigger one than it actually is because I threw out those eight games in Houston for James Harden, right. uh, it was too tough for him to, to overcome in my book. I think, look, guards were impossible for me here. I think there were, there were definitely snubs where I'm looking at forwards and – I don't. I really don't feel like they were snubs for center. If you're gonna get out of sh- like bent out of shape about Bam or Capella not being on here, I don't. You know, uh, I wish the NBA would get rid of positions for this. I'm just a little bit surprised. I get. I could see almost the Russell Westbrook versus Beal comparison because of how much Westbrook powers the offense, even sometimes to a detriment. We watched him shoot the Wizards out of the yep. playing game versus the Celtics, um, and it's not like Beal was spectacular that game either. But he's just more has a ton more responsibility than Bradley Beal as a playmaker. I think that Kyrie's is at least more comparable to Harden's and look again the efficiency was just absolutely off the charts and he had I call it a 50 40 90 season with twos I mean he had it anyway but he had a you know a 56 40 92 season when looking at his two like that's just that's wild to me it is fun that it was Harden versus Kyrie and Westbrook versus Beal in both cases for those guard spots and for me it felt like a crime to leave Beal off that was the really tough snub for me. His the level but of ultimately, his shots was still through the roof for me, but I'm curious as to what right. was your reasoning for putting Russ above him? You know, you said that Russ shot them out of the play-in game, and you're right, but without Russ, there wouldn't have been a play-in game. That's ultimately what it comes down to. It's more than just Westbrook versus Beal. It's Westbrook empowering the Wizards to believe they could make it that far 
despite the horrible start to the season and the injuries they had already suffered, just the energy with which he plays every single night is contagious. And that to me is something that isn't going to be captured in the numbers, which might still favor Westbrook, but it pushed him ahead where as good as Beal is and as good as his leadership traits are, he did not inspire that team to the same level that Westbrook's unrelenting motor did. It's funny because I'm not sure that I, I think it's a definite discussion, but I wouldn't have had Russ as my alternative to Bradley Beal or Kyrie. And so who would you have? I'll get into that when we get the honorable mentions. Who did you have as your third team forwards? My third team forwards were LeBron James and Julius Randle. And it was really hard to leave off Zion Williamson. Oh, you know, I had Paul George as the next forward up for me. He was tougher than Zion. He was after Zion for me. Yeah. But you can take the talking stick because we have the same two players here. And I think I'll briefly say, if you want to leave LeBron off because he missed 26 games with the the, total with that ankle injury, I kind of get it. But he was... For me, I don't think it was a ceremonial award when he was in the MVP race. He was legitimately in consideration for that award when he went down. And it, he was so good this year, even on defense, that I don't know how you don't... He I, he would have... I thought he was going to be, before he ended up missing so much time, after the ankle injury, I was like, oh, there's no way he gets bumped off of first. And I was like, you know what? But there's no way he gets bumped off of second. I had trouble knocking him down to third, but you almost had to because he missed like 33% of it, more than 33% of the season. Yeah, I I totally get it if you do want to leave LeBron off. And I really, really hate using the look how bad the team was in his absence. You know, like the classic case being like the Indianapolis Colts when Andrew Luck retired and suddenly it was like, can we give MVP to a retired player? I just, I hate that argument. But look at how bad the Lakers were without LeBron James. (laughs) Yeah, I'm, I, I, that's the that's the argument. Is their half court offense is still entirely? I mean, their offense in general, their half court offense though falls off a cliff. It becomes drippy, droopy mush when he is not on the court. That's a nod towards something. Maybe maybe people who are listening will also know. But yeah, I couldn't leave him. I couldn't. I felt weird leaving him off second, and I thought about putting him over Kawhi. But you look at just the playing time discrepancy, and it's like you you can't do that. It's Kawhi. Yeah, yeah. Julius Randle. We've talked about his most improved player case a lot. We've said that we think he should be in the MVP discussion, potentially as a top five candidate, certainly not to actually win the award, but on the ballot nonetheless. If you've watched those baseline fallaway jumpers that he's made and how he's sparked kind of a moribund New York offense, the defensive improvement, the improvement as a passer, the energy, the culture change that he's sparked – how do you leave him off? Zion Williamson has been such an exciting player. He is the Pelicans already at this point. Paul George, just a phenomenal season when he was healthy. You know, I've called him one of the more underrated players in the league now because his playoff reputation somehow supersedes the level he plays at. He's amazing. But Julius Randle totally reinvigorated a down-in-the-dumps franchise carried it to a top four seed in the Eastern Conference, played at a near MVP level. You can't leave him off. No, and it's there was just this material change in his game, making smarter, more difficult passes. And the other thing for me, too, he made more step-back threes this year than he did in his previous, I think, six seasons combined. 
17 of 41 on step back threes. I know he's taking the baseline jumpers. Those are different play data shots, player, uh, excuse me, tracking data shots. 17 of 41, which is 41.5% on step back threes. That's wild. I was surprised when I looked that only 53% of his made baskets came unassisted. Doesn't that surprise you? Because it feels like every It feels like it should be way higher. It feels like it should be more like 105%. But his level of importance to the Knicks offense is just through the roof. And when it came to, I don't necessarily think he's more important to the Knicks on offense than Zion is to the Pelicans. But I do think he can do more things as both a passer and the scope of his shots. Just because Zion, he doesn't need, I'm not saying he needs more variance in his game. And we've talked about there's more directionality to it than just going straight towards the rim. Still, there's just a wider, there's, there's more in his arsenal to do. And then with Paul George, for me, it just came down to Julius Randle was responsible for more of the, the offensive share to New York than Paul George was in. You know, and look, Paul George, it was tough to – he was so good this year, so incredibly good. And I, I can't believe he became such a meme. I remember when he signed this extension and people were just, like, shocked that they gave him that much. And it was like, I know he's had some bad playoff stretches, but Paul George in the regular season, even leave it at that, is a top 15 to 20 player, hands down. I, th- I think you're selling him short when you say it that way. Well, he didn't make all NBA, so I can't be sell- can't be selling him too short. Right, that's fair. <laughs> but I-, I guess when I do those player rankings, it's taking more than just the single season into account. There's it's projection and hindsight when you're doing overall right. player rankings, though. I would say Paul George is definitively a top twenty player. That's but it. also. Paul George probably makes the top 15 if we're throwing positions out of the, out of the window. Like I, I think, I think to me, Paul, I view Paul George more as a top 10 to 15 player than 15 to 20. I think Maybe we're just splitting hairs. I'm probably with you. I'm just looking at who would be, you know, a lot of the guards, maybe specifically this year. Would you bounce yep. in favor of him? Yeah, that would be, that'd be the one. Third the third team, the third team guards, the third team center for me because I took the low-hanging fruit the NBA offered. That's right. So your third-team center is... Bam Adebayo with a shout to Clint Capella. I have Rudy Gobert. I, it had to be Bam if you were going to structure your ballot the way they did. And I have Rudy Gobert yeah. because I, I didn't put two centers on one team. So he... I think Rudy Gobert, by the way, has a case over Joel Embiid just based off the minutes he played this year. But Joel Embiid is just so dominant on offense. Even though Rudy Gobert is good on offense, Joel Embiid is just dominant. I think I still have I don't I'm not sure it's that close. Like if we're talking about Embiid as a potential runner up in the defensive player of the year race, and then his offense is just gonna blow Rudy Gobert's um, offense out of the water, underrated as it may be. Um, well that's the reasoning, but I'm saying if you're I'm I'm independent of those discussions, if we were talking about just the because those are colored by the fact that we had those discussions. Right. So like if you're looking at this, I think you could it wouldn't shock me if we see Embiid make third team and Gobert make some second teams. I don't agree with it. I'm just saying it could be close. I'm going to be totally shocked, especially since he's forward eligible. So let me run through my final rankings really quickly. I'm going to go by positions now that we've wrapped it up. My first team guards were Steph and Dame. My second team guards were Devin Booker and Chris Paul. My third team guards were Kyrie and Bradley Beal. My first team forwards were Luka Doncic and Giannis. My second team forwards were Kawhi and Jimmy Butler. My third team forwards were LeBron and Julius Randle. My first team center was Jokic, my second team center was Embiid, and my third team center was Rudy Gobert. All right, my first team guards were Steph and Luka. Second team guards, Dame and CP3. Third team guards, James Harden and Russell Westbrook. 
first team forwards with heavy air quotes, Giannis and Joel Embiid. <laughs> Second team forwards, Kawhi and Jimmy Butler. Third team forwards, LeBron and Julius Randle. Remove the air quotes now. First team center is Jokic. Second team is Gobert. Third team is Adebayo. And then my honorable mention team, my fourth team, whatever you want to call it, would be Kyrie Irving, Bradley Beal, Zion Williamson, Paul George, and Clint Capella. So I would have had Bam, Zion, and Paul George, Russell Westbrook, and then I had Trey Young. That was the toughest guard cut for me. I don't think he's gotten enough. Thank you. I appreciate that. that. He's really good. I know the floater wasn't falling for large part of the year, but he's just still a he's a mind fuck when you watch him play offense. If you're a defender, I, I just don't know what you're supposed to do against him still. So oh, I mean you don't have to tell me twice, but for me the reasoning is that the Hawks rise did not coincide with availability from Trey Young. It coincided with Bogdanovich getting healthier. It coincided with Clint Capella getting healthier. How look at a coaching this, change. Look the the actual toughest cut here for me by the way is uh, Jason Tatum I didn't know what to do with when you're looking at the fourth team cuts, he was the one that I had. I didn't make a fifth team, but then I had next to Zion and Paul George. I have Jason Tatum, WTF. I think it's just like play in game doesn't count, but he was for anyone who wants to make that argument. There's just, it feels like there's a limitation on his shot selection where it's, I, he can do all the things people want him to do, but he doesn't always get to the rim. He can bail out on his drives too often. And where you look at Devin Booker and Chris Paul, they're so deliberate with the mid range jumpers they're taking. His just feel more haphazard, and I just don't, you know, splitting hairs again, but that's why Tatum, but I just felt like he deserved an honorable mention in some form because he was spectacular this year. I'm glad you mentioned him. That, I think that about does it for us, though, correct? The rare under-an-hour episode. Fantastic. We tried to make it in under 35 minutes, but it's us, so whatever. Guys, please remember to rate guys, gals, people in general, aliens, anyone from other planets listening to this. Please, please, pretty please remember to rate, review, subscribe to this podcast wherever you get them. Helps us out a ton. Download every episode. Follow us on social media at Hardwood Knox. We're on YouTube, youtube.com. Search Hardwood Knox. Follow the Sports Math Network at the sports underscore, the underscore sports underscore math on Twitter. Until next time, we leave you with a shout out to the one, the only, First team, All-NBA forward, forward, Joel Embiid. Now is the chance to use reliable energy to grow your money with the Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. Our new investment product offers competitive returns, no maintenance fees, and flexible online access to your money. Make the reliable investment in reliable energy. The Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. To find out more, go online to reliabilityinvestment.com. That's reliabilityinvestment.com.